head of the head of that label was like a fucking headache. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm the head of the label. I was like, yeah, you're a fucking headache. So, you know, but again, he did it right. And my favorite example was when they were going to release this Death Row mixtape. I'm the first person to ever do the Guinness World Freestyle Record, and I did it for charity. Mm. So the money went to finance and build a secondary school in the Bodo River States, Nigeria. I'm the guy that's picking the beats. Mm-hmm. I'm the guy that's working with the artists for the features. Mm-hmm. Um, potentially brokering licensing deals and also handling legal. Yeah. I want to be a billionaire. I ain't getting no sleep till I see a million every week. I want to be a billionaire. I ain't getting no sleep till I see a billy every week. I want to be a billionaire. Billionaire. I want to be a billionaire. Billionaire. I want to be a billionaire. I ain't getting no sleep till I see a billy every week. I ain't gonna be a Ladies and gentlemen, how you doing? Welcome to another episode of Sleepers for Billionaires, the podcast. I am your host, Johnny Vegas. Now today, I got a very special guest on my show, ladies and gentlemen. You're in for a treat, so take some notes. This man is Grammy nominated. He's an A&R extraordinaire. He holds the Guinness World Record for the longest freestyle ever, nine hours. It's mind-boggling, never even heard of it. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> M.A. What's up, baby? What's up? How you doing, King? I'm great. I'm so great. talk to me about the nine hours. Okay, so I had to. I don't have the world record anymore. Got it. But to date, like I still kind of have a record. Okay. So I'm the first person to ever do the Guinness World Freestyle Record, and I did it for charity. Mm. So the money went to finance and build a secondary school in the Bodo River States, Nigeria. Got it. You look it up online; it's Baymore.org. Mm-hmm. So though I don't hold the record anymore, I had it from 2009 to 2011. The school stands. Got Thousands it. of kids like ages six and seven all the way through like senior year of high school attend school. Yeah. And it's because, you know, we raised the money through me rapping and that's, you know, an example of me building on to hip hop culture. Right. Like 97% of people involved in our culture can't say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I chose that route because when I was a senior in college, we learned about the African diaspora and in one of the seminars I remember, they're like, it cost like 12,000 American dollars to essentially build a brick and mortar school. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking down like, Literally that day, I'm like, I think my watch cost twelve thousand dollars. Yeah, that day, <laughs> I'm like, uh, so I could trade this watch and like, you know, I could have my own school. Yeah. So That's crazy. years later, let's see, I graduated college in like '03, and then I graduated law school '07, '08. The next year, was I was like, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's something awesome to put on to the legacy, and people can respect for a lifetime to come. Absolutely. So I knew that, you know, I broke the record from Do, I broke the record from Supernat, and I knew eventually the record would be broken. Mm-hmm. The craziest thing is the guy who broke my record was Chidi from the group Chidi Bang, and he's Nigerian. And when I met him, and I told him about the school and all that, he's like, I had no idea. I'm like, I really wanted him to acknowledge that when. He was break, like attempting to break the record because it reignited all this press for me. Right. He's a bigger artist, so I'm, you know, like I made the current guest world record holders of Rolling Stone and MTV and all this stuff. And we we got to meet. I uh, produced a concert uh, with Wiz Khalifa and like Kendrick and Mac Miller and Chitty Bang was the opener. That's when we met and chopped it up. It was really cool just to like you know pass the torch. And, yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. So, yeah. Yes, indeed. So when you say you got paid, so they pay you for being in no. the Guinness World for Records? Nope. Um, I, it's one of those things where it's like, I could have got paid, like done it like, you know, like maybe a mission to attend or something. Um, I knew if I did it for the charitable purpose, 
then it would increase all my business acumen there, like thereafter. So like if I wanted an M80 verse, I can charge more now. Right. I want to book an M80 show. So, and that happened, you know? So yeah, that's the point, like, like, let me do, and, and a lot of people don't think like that. Like, and I'll assess this business situation like that, like for every like piece of business that comes across my table. If I do this for free now, could it potentially come back and like, you know, have a better dividend in the end? Yeah. Um, one of the best examples of that was, I remember in the MySpace era, mm. this company called like Sound Survivors yeah. hit me up from Germany or Switzerland, like, can you do this track for us for free? Yeah. And you know, you instantly want to be like, no, you got to pay me. Like, but they're like, we're pressing the album up on vinyl and I've never been on vinyl before. Right. I'm like, yeah, I'll do it, sure. Then a year later, they came back to me like, we're working on this new album. And the first thing I did was like, I did the last one for free, you got a budget. And there's certain countries like Canada and, and Switzerland or whatever that can get grants from the government mm -hmm. for arts and stuff like that. So this time they had a budget and literally every record since then they've had budgets for. So if I would have like pissed them off and not done that one work for free, yeah. I mean, they've probably brokered over a hundred grand in my pocket since then in works that will pertain to MA the artist and for like members of Wu-Tang and Dog Pound and you name it. And you know, I did a song with them that came out this year, mm -hmm. uh, Banger with CeeLo. Nice. You know, they, they got a deal with, uh, with Warner Brothers in Berlin. And so it's like, you never know. You can't just be about money every time. Like sometimes the art does have to play. I like that, I like that. So can you break down like a list of, and it don't have to be an entire list, but just a list of everyone that you work with and the positions that you played sure. in the operation? Um, uh, other than the of the artist right. and my own releases, mm -hmm. uh, when I'm in the credits for a client's project, I'm either credited as executive producer, mm -hmm. associate producer, A&R, or A&R admin. Okay. Executive producer, like used to see like Master P on the No Limit Records, is like I will finance these projects. Okay. And then I will broker the deal, you know, of course reimburse myself. Then it's like my company holds the productions in association with whatever the record label or distributor is. Mm -hmm. um, associate producer is like I'm not financing but I'm connecting the dots to broker the record label deal or distribution deal. And I'm doing like other tasks like A&R and A&R administration. A&R is, I'm the guy that's picking the beats. I'm the guy that's working with the artists for the features, um, potentially brokering licensing deals and also handling legal. So that's that's why I'm the A&R extraordinary. Usually your average A&R just has a good year. Might have a position at a record label and that's in their working on what they're told to work on for anything that they're not discovering themselves. A&R administration is strictly the legal side of things. So that's your guest artist sign-offs, your production memorandums, your publishing splits, your sample clearances, your licensing, your contract review. So my first major credit as an A&R was Wu-Tang CD Culture in 05. That album went on to be the second highest selling independent album across all genres of music only losing out to Danger Doom, MF Doom and Danger Mouse, which by the way, that's a good record to lose to. Right, definitely. You know, I mean, they, they released that with Adult Swim, so they had TV promotion <laughs> unlimited, and we, we can't, we couldn't do that. Yeah. But um, that record wanted to make like a million bucks. Nice. And um, was really the spawn of me starting my own business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, <laughs> it's like I had my own Kanye moment at the time because yeah. That record went on to make over a million dollars, I got paid two grand. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense to me. Like, what, what, what is this? And uh, I worked for someone else. 
So I was like, well, I'm never gonna short myself if I own my own shit. Right. So I built more Twitter Productions and all every negative experience I've had in the music industry ultimately was the best that could best thing that could have happened to me. Okay. Because like let me learn from these experiences. Yes. So I'm not gonna shortchange me and it's my prerogative not to shortchange others. So it's like, yeah, you cheated me, but now I know if I build my own, the money can come through me. I can pay out and like since 2005, I've never had to turn to one of my rap clients like, you owe me money. Right. It's just simpler, it's less stressful. And, yeah. So, wow. So, so okay, so you attended law school yes, prior sir. to getting into the music business? I was in law school okay. with the intent to work in the music business, never to become a lawyer. I wanted to master the ins and outs of the administrative side of the business, which, you know, 99% of artists one of the artists. Right. And that's what you're supposed to be for better or worse. Right. You know, when you when you become a top tier artist, yes, you have accountants, you have managers, you have ARs, you have publicists, and and more, you have booking agents. And it's like they do their jobs and you can just focus on being the artist. Mm -hmm. Now, it's a gift and a curse because like when you get to like Snoop level, Wiz Khalifa level, ASAP Rocky level. Rihanna level, you always hear these stories like their accountants stole eight million bucks, this yeah. person stole this. And it's because you just trust these people to do their jobs. Mm -hmm. And essentially, you should always have a hand in your own business. I think Snoop is the most prominent example of someone that's like the most top tier. Like Snoop's one of the most top five iconic names in entertainment history. Top three. Right? <laughs> right. That being said, he has mastered his role of I am the artist and I am the business. Right. You can't say that about everyone. I don't know. You know, like business just goes over a lot of people's heads. It's super technical. So my role in going to law school was like, I didn't want to drop my artistry. In fact, when I was in law school, I was getting greater opportunities as an artist. I yeah. played all the major venues in San Francisco. Yeah. I was rocking alongside like Jizza and Ghostface and DJ Muggs and Planet Asia and you name it. But at the same time, it was about bettering myself and bettering the culture through the business. Mm -hmm. um, when I just started as an artist, I had read an article in the Source with the locks. Okay. And it was like they interviewed the group together and then each member individually. Mm -hmm. uh, Jada, Styles, and Sheik. Mm -hmm. I believe it was during Styles' individual part of the interview where he's like, we could sell a million records and maybe experience a high financially, but eventually every other month of our life is like a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. But it seems like the people behind the business of music are not experiencing the same highs and lows we are. Like they're always good. And it's because they have a smart business model. That was all I needed to hear. Like, I know I'm smart, I know I'm talented, I'm skilled, I'm a hardworking, like dedicated person. I never want to sell myself short and have to experience not having means. Right. That was it for me. So I knew, okay, I can still make albums, I can still do shows, I can like do whatever I want to. And I had a list of goals and I checked off all my artist goals. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you could quit and be like, there's nothing else for me to accomplish. If I have time to make another album, so be it. But the business of music, and I'll always stay eating, just like in Styles' example, because I don't just work for one entity. Right. So it's like, someone asked me that the other day, they're like, people complain about you a lot. Why do you always stay having money, but yet like say this dude doesn't? And my example back to them was that guy can only eat off the off of his own plate. As an A&R with say 200 clients, and I have percentage deals and, and uh, you know, so like my company offers say like 12 different services. Right. Now, Say someone like Crooked Eye or Planet Asia are corrupt, 
might want me to render all 12. Mm -hmm. Give me the full spectrum. Someone like Snoop, broker some features for me, some video deals, some, some shows, whatever. That, that's my role. I don't think our Snoop hours, you know, like they pick the task. Okay? But I can get commissions off every one of these people. Mm -hmm. So I don't eat off the person, I eat with the people, and that's the difference. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm eating off 200 plates, of course that equals more than one plate of 100%. Right. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yes, sir. That's amazing, man. So is there anyone that you haven't worked with that you would like to render your service to? Uh, the only person I have not yet met, which is insane mm -hmm. that I haven't, is Dr. Dre. Mm -hmm. The reason it's insane is because, you know, I've worked on like every Crooked Eye record, um, dating back to like Good vs. Evil, mm -hmm. and there was years where Crook was like Dre's main writer. Right. So, Crook introduced me to Marshall. And uh, we did that like the day after I introduced him to Dave Chappelle. Yeah. And when we were on tour in 2014, yeah. we're driving to um, this venue in Yellow Springs, which is where Dave has the farm. Yeah. And Crook's like, who are you just on the phone with? I'm like, it is on speaker. And uh, like, I was like, Dave, he's like, who are you? Dave Chappelle, he's like, shut up, he'll be at our show. <laughs> Crook didn't believe me. And literally when we pulled up, Dave's like, right there, hey. And I told him, I'm like, I've done a dozen shows in, see, it's, it's kind of like Marino, Ray, Venice, Santa Monica. Yeah. You got Dayton, Fairborn, Yellow Springs. They're all like hops that go jump from each other. Yeah. Dave came to like every single one of these shows except one for like Cannabis and Keith Murray and Black Sheep and New Plants. And people see him on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. You know, they see him at the coffee shop. They see him like taking a walk or riding his motorcycle or whatever. So they don't, they don't bother him. It's just routine. Yeah. So he can just be him at the shows. Right. Like if you see someone every day, you're not going to be like, ah, yeah, yeah, that was just norm. Exactly. So it's like cool for us, right. you know, as visitors. Yeah. Um, and then the next show was in Michigan. And that's what I learned, like, Eminem records on, like, that schedule is, like, 9 to 5, like, treats like that. Like, I saw a kind of view expanding upon it. So we got there late the first day, and then we went the next day. Um, and that's how I got my plaque for Music Being Murdered By, because one of the songs that Crooked Eye did with M that day was uh, a song called uh, uh, I Will. Yeah. Um, and that was on Music Being Murdered uh, By one that record. I think he's, like, platinum on the way to double platinum now. Wow, yeah. the congratulations, yeah. man. Damn, M80, shit. I didn't know you were doing it like that, Big Daddy. <laughs> Kirk gave me a, a list of things, like here's your do's and don'ts. Mm -hmm. uh, number one was, my initials are M and M, Matthew and Nathaniel Martin. He's mm -hmm. like, don't tell me what you're talking about. Like, that's funny, I'm like, like, you know, so like, I'm just like, no, I didn't. But <laughs> another one was, you know, like, it, it just made sense, like don't speak unless stuff you do kind of thing. Right. And uh, so we're in the studios, you got the little arcade, they're working. And I'm taking pictures on my phone, and I didn't realize what he was like behind me. And I like, took a photo and, and filtered it and made it black and white. He's like, I just do that. Mm. I'm like, oh, you know, it's, it's a filter. And I was showing him other photos I took, and then he's like, what are those things on your phone? And it's like, they're apps. It's short for application. Like, I just click this one and go to eBay. And he's like, and at first I thought I was fucking with me. Right. And Kurt's like, no, like he, he doesn't have a phone. And, you know, I remember Kanye didn't have a phone for a long time. Obviously, he has one now. Maybe you should go back to not having said phone. Right, right. But um, it, was, it was really cool because, I mean, if you need to get a hold of him, you have to get a, you know, get a hold of Paul or you have to get a hold of Tracy or that's just what it is. And that man can just focus on his work and focus on his family. And clearly, I think a lot of our lives, you know, if, we, if I didn't need social media for business, right. 
I wouldn't have. If I need a phone to stay connected to the family, stuff like that, then I think I'd be super content with just not having it. I'm living it. Yeah. You know? So that's all about the end of like, the day anyway. I was one of the, my first friends in high school. Let's see, like 1998, 99, to have a cell phone. Like I had like the, the, the box. The, box. I, it, was the, it, was, it wasn't a big box phone, it wasn't okay. that big, but it was still like one long piece. Yeah. You know? And I, I was also one of the first to have a pager, but it's like, I was 16, 17, and now you see kids that are like six right. with a phone. And I'm like, I just had my first child. I'm like, damn, I don't want to be that dad. Right. I understand it from like, there's an emergency aspect, but like, kids are going to use their phone regardless of emergency or not. It's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. you can't tell them like to not use it. Right. So, We'll see, man. The world is changing. The world is definitely changing and expanding in a rapid pace, that's for yeah. sure. So as far as being a dot connector, right? Because there's a lot of people that label themselves dot connectors, yes. right? But, you know, a lot of people don't know how to dot connect. So can you explain how, you know, the, the level of thinking you have to have when it comes to connecting these dots, right? Because it, it really entails thinking outside the box all the time. Yeah. Yep. Um, Crooked Eye gave me that title. Mm. MAD, professional dot connector. When I used to just introduce my people as the AR certain actor. Yeah, who does that mean? It's a professional dot connector. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I was MAD, the artist, mm. I knew, like I said, that I was going to get into the business of music. Mm -hmm. So when I would meet these rappers, like my first major show was with members of Wu Tang. Yeah. And then I did all these other big shows because in Indiana at the time where I lived, mm -hmm. it was like, to less than 10 artists. Mm -hmm. Now there's, you know, everyone raps or producer or whatever. But, so at the time, the opportunities to be on these shows was going to like the same people every time. And I happened to be one of these people. Mm -hmm. um, when I meet, the difference was when the other openers would be like, yeah, man, we should do something together, you know, like make a song. And lip service is what it is. Yeah. I'd approach, like, saying, like, Wu Tang, for example, I love your music, I know it front to back. Next year, I'm going to law school. I'm going to specialize in intellectual property and contracts and civil litigation. And it goes deeper than just me having this affinity for you and your music. But like, I feel like I could really better your business. Give me your math. We're going to stay in touch. And then I'd be persistent. But it's like they respected my persistence because they knew my calls were too better than them. Right. So, you know, I used to like the first couple records I was in R and like, you know, you changing your culture. Mm -hmm. Clearly I felt like I got shafted on financially, mm -hmm. but I gained a priceless amount of experience. Right. The do's and don'ts of making the record. Then because of the success of that record, other big names want to know who had a hand in this, who's behind it. So, you know, RZA was already a known entity, of course, Wu-Tang Clan is known. Yeah. And then there was Dreddy, and there was me. And because I had the law background, people felt more comfortable wanting to have me a part of what they were doing versus your average A&R that's just like a good friend or someone the label assigns and perhaps didn't have, the, no one had the education level. It's right. very rare that you have an A&R that has the law background. There's a few of us that exist. Mm -hmm. Um, so because of the Lieutenant culture, then I started working on records for Jizza and Redman and Planet Asia and Canvas and Keith Murray. Mm -hmm. And um, it just took off from there and I never stopped working. Mm -hmm. So then a lot of people got to see like maybe MAD was really like the brains of the shit the whole time. Mm -hmm. And whether that statement reigns true or not, it's I'm still working just as hard 17 years later. Yeah. You know, I think I released 20 albums this year. Like this my, year? This year. Hit my five. Uh, with the release of the Capadon Stu Bangers album, just hit my 40 Billboard Top 100 rap album. Yeah. So for independent ARs, I haven't done the full research yet, so it's like, it could be true, could not. I think I'm in the top three ARs of all time to have that accomplishment. Wow. 
because again, your average A&R works for a major record label. Right. They're told what to work on. Yeah. They're assigned. If they're not finding the talent and bringing it for themselves, these are records that I'm personally invested in, that I'm constructing from beat one to completion and overseeing the whole shit. That's why I'm super proud of this forthcoming Corrupting C-Mob album yeah. because I was there when it was just an idea mm. to when it was just going to be an EP to when the first few records sounded so good we have to make it an album yeah. and both announce that. Wow, yes, yeah. that's amazing, bro. So, are you uh, are you taking your clients into the NFT space? I did take a few, but these companies are folding left and right. I'm starting to see that. And so, here's the thing: you got some companies that are like devout to their mission. Yeah, this we know we can win with this. We accept the fact that the market isn't in the best place right now. We want to lock in contracts. We want to give deposits. Mm -hmm. That's all it takes. Yeah. Those companies are far and few. Mm -hmm. The majority of these companies, oh, we have this team and we have this idea and, you know, we're going to make millions and they're selling you. It, it could happen, mm -hmm. but it's like you don't get to attach yourself to a major artist, a major brand just because you think some great shit's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Like. You can't go sit down with Snoop and be like, I'd like to discuss booking you for millions of dollars worth of shows and not come and throw a hundred grand on the table just to show them you're real. Yeah. Like, we don't respect that. Mm -hmm. I don't respect it. Mm -hmm. So we had literally all in a week, like a Wu-Tang related NFT, a Rakim NFT, wow. and a Outlaws NFT with unreleased Tupac music, oh all fold in the same week. That's crazy. Super crazy. Damn, why do you think that happened? It was all the same reason. Um, these were examples of companies that were putting up money mm -hmm. and decided I'm just gonna cut my losses right now. And that's what it is. It's like, instead of locking it in, finding it like, we're just a deposit. Hey, maybe I can't put down what I'm supposed to, but I'm serious about it. Let me put down this and we'll revisit it, revisit it in say a year. And they all just fold it. Um, so I got to make some money in the NFT space, mm -hmm. but it could have been much, much, much more. Mm. Um, now with cannabis as an example, okay. I worked very heavily with cannabis this past year, mm -hmm. um, from the Horseman album up until now. Yeah. And we built this website where we offered NFTs, but with utility. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just like, here's a piece of digital art. So one example of what we did that actually happened was people for depending like a thousand dollars. So you didn't have to purchase shit with a coin. Okay. It was debit card, credit card, PayPal, whatever. Thousand dollars to five thousand dollars. We'd get you certain like levels of, you know, whatever, maybe credit on the album, uh, unreleased cannabis music, like sheets of a notepad, um, phone call with cannabis, but they all had you could attend this private studio session. Well, that's, it worked. I mean, like we had 20 some people attend the session at $1,000 to $5,000 a piece. And that's potentially more of a gross than him actually putting out an album in a traditional format. Right. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So are you guys planning on continuing that uh, NFT endeavor, like at least with cannabis? Yeah, probably yes, because that's an example of an artist whose fan base lives on the net. Right. You know. You rarely hear cameras on the radio. You don't walk down the street and hear people like spark up a debate about the best cameras verse. Right, right, right. Um, but his fan base could sustain that model. Mm -hmm. I can't say that about nine tenths of the other clients I work with. Right. Snoop Dogg I, I absolutely just killed it. Crushing it. Like, 
whether whether he made a million bucks or a hundred million bucks in that space, more power to him. But like he did it right. And my favorite example was when they were gonna release this Death Row mixtape. Mm -hmm. And instead of just putting it out like you would on that if a live mixtapes or whatever, released each song as an NFT, but like here's the song. Only X amount of people can buy it. Here's the instrumental, only X amount of people can buy it. Here's the acapella. Now people are like, sweet, I can just buy this new verse and have my own Snoop song. But unfortunately, it's not coming with like this the documentation you need to actually release your quote unquote Snoop song in, in the commercial space. Right. But I mean, so you went from having something you were gonna put out for free. I remember when we did the horseman album, Raz, like, we should just put out for free. I'm like, fuck no, we're not. Yeah. Well, you are crazy. You've been waiting for this for 20 years. I'm making some money on this shit. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, but, but so Snoop, Snoop, instead of like releasing his tape for free and just bringing exposure, I mean, who knows what they made on that, man? I'd assume at least a million. They made a lot. Yeah, I saw yeah. an interview he did. He said he made like 21 million in three days. Cool. It's crazy. I think that the back on Death Row album, which is one of my favorite albums of the year, um, on their NFT thing and said it did like 40, 50, 7 million bucks around the time of Super Bowl. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Oh man. What do you think? What's next for NFTs? What do you think in your, in your mind? You know, because I feel like the, the craze of it is dying down, but I, I still think we're still in the early stages of the innovation. Of it. I, I think, I think the world needs to go through like an education phase and some of these companies really need to come together and do webinars and seminars and stuff like that. It can't just be like, we're announcing our company. We're announcing what we're selling because people, the public perception is disbelief right now. Yeah. And people think it's a scam. Mm. Um, so it's like you have to get public perception around the negative to really make it go. Yeah. You know, like people buying land in the metaverse, like, ah. <laughs> yeah, you have a mansion in Sim City or whatever, right. but like you live in an apartment in the real world. Like, that. so, you know, it's like people need to really get a better understanding of what it is and what's being offered and what it might become. Mm -hmm. um, because otherwise it's, it's, it will not thrive. Right. Okay. So you brought up Kanye a few times. So I just wanted to touch on that really, really quickly because you know we spoke about him off camera. But uh, yeah, man, what are, what are your thoughts on that? You know what I mean? Like he was one. I'm sure he was one of your clients and everything like that. But why? He was never. A, he was never a client. Okay. But I met him three times. Okay. And uh, the first time. First two times we were both in Indianapolis. Okay. I used to be friends with Ryan Fest. Mm -hmm. Ryan Fest wrote Jesus Walks. Mm -hmm. So the first time I met Kanye, Ryan Fest, I believe, was in Boston. But Kanye came to do a show with Twista. He was just like there. He wasn't on the bill, he was just there. Yeah. And I knew what he looked like and like he like had a broken jaw, mm -hmm. had a big puffy coat on, and I was the only one that was talking to him. So yeah. it's like I had Kanye access the whole night. And this is right around the time through the wire drop. Ah. So he was like shy but like cool to me. Right. Then I met him, he went on and started getting big and he did a show at a place called Mirror Rock. I brought tons of shows to Mirror Rock when I was concerts in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Uh like Tech Nine and Tech Jeezy and Childish Gambino and Mac Miller and Wiz Khalifa all played at the same venue. Yeah. And like then Ron Fest was there that time and other people like John Legend. Mm. Like I have a M80 CD, one of my albums, signed yeah. by Kanye West. Wow. Yeah. And Kanye was like the funniest person in the room. We're like, had, you know, like lit it up and it was just like all eyes on him. Yeah. And then I met him in Chicago and this is around the Glow in the Dark tour. Mm -hmm. Same vibe, like now you'd assume you'd be the last person in the room to make you laugh. Right. Maybe the last person to be like play for a joke. It seems like he's just a super serious, like, you know, 
what I say goes and that's the end all be all of shit. Yeah. Um, so I'm, at least I can say I saw like a spectrum, you know? Yeah. Like they say, you should never meet your favorite artist. And I kind of agree with that statement because the majority of the people that I grew up admiring are fucking dickheads, you know? Yeah. But it's like, you might, you maybe you catch someone on a bad day. Yeah. Like I got people yeah. who like me and I got people who absolutely despise me and there's really no in between. Yeah. Uh, so it is what it is. Yeah, it just is what it is. Now for the Kanye thing, what's happening in the now? I'm an example. Well, I'm Jewish, so it's like you think I'm not gonna ride for my people, right? Sure. And I totally understand what Kanye was trying to say because I'm smart and knowledgeable, and I work with artists that are five percenters. I work with artists in the nation of God's and earth, and I work with Jews and Catholics and Persians and Armenians and Asians and Catholics. So I get it. Him trying to say that black man is the Asiatic man, which is the original man, therefore the original man is the Jewish man, and I can't be Semitic because I'm from the origin of Jews. Right. I get that. That did not go over my head. Yeah. The fact of the matter is though, your whole new theme is based on Christ and Christianity and Jesus is king and Jesus is Jew, but you never prior in your life claimed Jew. Right. Kendrick Lamar always came out the gate, I'm a black Israelite. Mm. Okay. There's no, so he can't one day be like, Jesus is my savior and I'm a Christian. It's not the same thing. Right. So that shit went over a lot of people's heads. Yeah. So you can't <laughs> like use that, <laughs> you can't claim that as a scapegoat now. It, like I've done, like I said, I've had bad business with Jewish people. I've had bad business with black people. I've had bad business with Catholics. I mean, you name it, all across the board. Yeah. I don't go blame the whole group of people. Yeah. <laughs> so Kanye going DEFCON 3 on the Jews, people are arguing what DEFCON is. It's a preparation tactic and anticipation of attack. Yeah. Okay? So be like, he's just preparing if he had to defend himself. No, this motherfucker was saying, like, I'm going to attack. I'm getting my shit in order yeah. to attack. There was something that ran yesterday about Keisha Cole pulling her kid from the Donna school because Kanye said in an interview that he was going to go back to his own school and shoot it up. Like, oh, what part of the game is that, bro? Oh. What these kids do to you? Right. So, just, my beef with Kanye is, but again, he won't listen to me. Remember, I, I'm not, I don't have 400 million bucks or a right. billion dollars or whatever it is. So therefore, and people are like, why do you keep saying that? Because he said it. Right. He said in multiple interviews to Pierce Morgan and every other person, if you have less than me, why would I value your opinion? And now I see other rappers saying that shit too, and y'all need to cut it out because y'all that are saying it don't have Matt Markoff money, and it's embarrassing. Right. Like, so stop that shit. People that don't have money like you can still have good fucking advice. Just fact. because it didn't work for them doesn't mean it might not work for you. It's, a, it's about your level of expertise, your level of resources. So stop thinking money and like your value are one of the same. They're not. Yeah. I know plenty of people have money that aren't shit. I know plenty of people who don't have money that I value very highly. Same. You know? Yeah. Um, so Kanye. To all these years later, Sway did have the answers. Yes, he did. But will you implement what he was telling you to do is the end all be all. Mm -hmm. So like I said, as a Jewish man, I ain't rocking with Kanye. I'm never gonna buy another CD. I'm never gonna buy another UC product. I'm never going to, and I've spent over $10,000. I, I literally went and assessed this. Yeah. I've been buying Kanye yes. products and attending shows since 03, okay? Oh, like, 
I'm, I, for, for one of my birthdays, it came up on my Facebook memories and my birthday was two days ago. Yeah. Oh, happy birthday. Thanks. I saw that. So like seven years ago or six years ago or some shit, I treated nine people plus myself, so ten of us, to floor seats to see Kanye perform. Yeah. Bro, that was thousands an hour. Right, right. Like, so I put money into the, you know, like, I'm, I'm definitely back in Kanye machine. Yeah. But... There's no coming back from what he did. He can still be successful in his own right. Mm -hmm. And if you really were masterminding this plan, like, okay, I, I, I bought into it for a minute. When he wore the White Lives Matter shirt and didn't get the reaction he wanted, yeah, it was outrage. Mm -hmm. When he disrespected the fuck out of George Floyd and his family, that was, yeah, it got outraged, but didn't sever ties. Right. But when he went DEFCON 3 on the Jewish people, we're out. Everyone's out. Peace. Putting all those okay, contracts. so if that's what you wanted, and people were buying into that rhetoric for a minute. Mm -hmm. He totally fucked it up when he walked into Skechers, another Jewish-owned brand, and be like, we should do some shit. Right. Like, the fuck out of here, bro. Right. You have the ability to do everything you want to do yourself. You want to build your own city, your own ecosystem, your own, your own school, you want to have your own church, you want to have your own stores, you can. Don't be afraid to fucking use your genius business mind and do it yourself. But until you do, everyone's looking at you like you had no real plan. It was just like fucking neurotic bipolar behavior. So you don't think this neurotic, the bipolar behavior okay. will stop his business from growing if he went on his own? I hope it does. That's the point. Until we, until you show improvement, we see it. Yeah, you're acknowledging that Sway was right and that's what you're supposed to do. But until you do it, it's like you're just crying about shit, dude. Right. Like, and, and here's another point. So, Kanye signed to Def Jam. Def Jam is distributed by like Universal? Yes. Okay. So, if there's Jewish people at the top of Def Jam, there's Jewish people at the top of Universal, mm -hmm. and you signed a deal where you gave up your masters, mm -hmm. You signed that deal. Right. I even as a lady, I'm not as big as an artist as Kanye West, but there's I don't own my masters. Right. There's one or two I don't own. Yeah. I'd like to buy them back, but it's not high on the priority list. It's like whatever if you just want to say you own to own it. But you, Kanye, own good music. You go log on the Better Beer uh, Business Bureau website. Owner of good music to Kanye West. It's not some other random person in Kanye's that just the face. He's the owner. Mm -hmm. You made your artists you signed, like Big Sean, give up their masters. Then you took those contracts and assigned them to Def Jam. So, you know, he did an interview like, man, as a black man, I'm gonna give all my people their their their, their masters back. And then, like when Big Sean's like, he'll do like six million bucks, and Kanye's like, I'm gonna get him his money. Did Kanye did Big Sean get his money back? Did he get his master back? Like, the answer's still no. Mm. So it's like people keep, but like, you don't want to look at those points. Right. You know, because they just like, no, Kanye can do no wrong. He's he's speaking up on truths. What Kanye was speaking on isn't anything, at least I didn't already know. Yeah. I assume other people in the music industry know this. Like, yes, Jewish people own a hefty bulk of the media. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like 90 some percent. Yes, that's what I was saying. But that doesn't mean there's not black owned record labels. It doesn't mean, like, dude, Fat Beats is owned by like an Armenian guy and he is not a super fan of mine by any means because he really liked that was super fucking business and I'm on point. That was the whole point of going to law school. Mm -hmm. I know how to do right by my artists and negotiate the best deals for them. Yeah. So record labels that want to do good business so they can make money and also make sure they're doing right by the artist, they love me because I'm the I'm the perfect liaison between both entities. Right. Record labels and distributors whose job is to fuck the artist think I'm a nightmare. Mm -hmm. I'm incorrigible to yeah. deal with. Right. So when we were doing this deal for Ghostface, mm -hmm. they issued me the contract. I go through it. I was like, these are the changes you have to make. 
They'd send it back to me like, okay, we made the changes. I go through it, I'd be like, we made some of the changes. <laughs> but the average person doesn't, you know, they're like, oh, you made the changes, great, we just signed the shit. Back and forth, 13 times. Wow. They could have, it could have been one time. Yeah. But they kept fucking with me to see if I'd catch the shit. And there's certain words that can draw off the whole meaning of a pause. Right. Things like that. So after that, that label's like, we will never work with you again. <laughs> Bro, I had records from Rizzo on deck, records from Priest, and this EDM project with all this rap shit on it. And, but the label's like, we're not dealing with you. Because so, your intention was to fuck every, and they, and they have, that's their, that's their reputation. Uh, Baby Grand Records in New York could have still to this day been the biggest thing for independent rappers, but they went into it with the model of beating their artists. Uh, you don't have to do that. Right. It's like, when you pay people their worth, and you're still able to thrive as a company, like, like, dude, I'll be all right. Like, not every record I make is is a grand slam or even a home run. Yeah. But as long as they get me on base, I can keep batting. Yeah. Follow. Yes, sir. So it's like Baby Grand had members of Wu Tang, Dipset, Jedi Mind Tricks. God, man, high tech. Gene Gray. Uh, then they became my hip hop distribution. They had like Wiz Khalifa and Freeway. And, uh, they got Stove God Cooks now. It's like you could have been the shit. Since early 2000s through now, yeah. But since you did bad business, you kept having to change your name and hide assets and things of that nature. So um, I remember I was talking to Fat Beats because Fat Beats distributes Baby Grand's vinyl catalog. And yeah, I'm like, you should reach out to Baby Grand because on the website they have the Almighty My Group vinyl yeah. and it says sold out. I don't have a copy, mm -hmm. and they never pressed it. And he's like, I actually hit him about that before I even met you. And he's like, Oh, the head of the head of that label was like a fucking headache. And I'm like. Wait a minute, I'm the head of the label. I was like, yeah, you're the fucking head of it. So, you know, but again, because I'm not going to be shortchanged and I'm not going to let you shortchange my people. So right. Kanye has a responsibility not only to himself, Kanye has a responsibility to the good music artist. And then when they ran the, the story, Def Jam drops Kanye West and good music. So a lot of people are like, oh no, Kanye was already out of his contract. That part's true. Mm -hmm. Donda 2 did not come out with Def Jam. Donda 2 came out on the Stem Player. And even Stem Player dropped Kanye. But, but the whole point was it affects good music artists. Like yes. we and we haven't seen them publicly because private, you know, business. Mm -hmm. Who was able to go and just re-sign a Def Jam without the music? And those kind of things still figuring it out. Mm -hmm. Like Two Chains was a Def Jam artist that kind of became associated with music. Mm -hmm. Pusha T's an example of a good music artist that signed Def Jam. Big Shaw's an example of good music signed to Def Jam. So it's like, you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe Pusha T's next album is Def Jam, or maybe it's not. Right. Maybe Big Sean is Def Jam or not. Like we don't know yet. Yeah. But it's definitely not gonna be good music. It definitely doesn't so. seem like it's gonna be good music. That's for sure. Oh man. Do you like where the state of hip hop is today? I do. And when people ask me that question, <clears throat> so say you're like, oh, there's so much bullshit out there. I like the real hip hop. If you really want to like be present in the times, there's so much new music. Filter it out. What do you like and what don't you like? You know, like, you can't not like it all. Right. I don't like everything from the golden era. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same same ethic. So it's like, when I listen to the music of now, yeah, man, like, I found at least 20 artists that I fuck with and, like, I'm very happy I gave my attention to, like, ASAP Rocky, Joey Badass, Kendrick Lamar, Ab Soul, um, Action Bronson, uh, the whole Griselda camp, 38 Spash, Lil Uzi Vert, Kodak Black, people like that, like, 
Uh, Jizzy? Jake? Of course. Okay, of course, Jake, bro. <laughs> what kind of Jewish man would I be if I were going to rise yeah. one of my own, dude? Like, definitely fuck with Drake. And that goes beyond his, like, extreme level of talent. Yeah. You know? So the point is, like, you can't just dismiss it all. Like, I don't want to be in the club and, like, have you kick knowledge to me, dude. I'm trying to, like, get fucking retarded or something. Hey, get some ass. <laughs> yeah, just have a good time, man. Like, so there's music for different moods. That makes sense. Different situations. Like, I'm not going to go get in a street fight and, like, you know, I'm bumping like Biggie's like, come on, motherfucker, come on. Like, <laughs> you have to, like, get yourself in that zone. So it's like, you get it. I hope you get it. So it's like, for those that are shitting on the new music, and I understand now from an artist perspective, mm -hmm. I understand why a lot of the old heads, quote unquote old heads, the G's, the triple G's, oh, the legends, the vets, hate what's happening. And it, it's a financial thing. Mm -hmm. There's so much more money for record deals, for shows, for things, like that, money that these people never fathomed. Right. You know, so imagine you're Rakim, mm -hmm. the god MC. Yes, sir. You are Jay-Z's favorite rapper. You are so many, like, you're members of Wu-Tang's favorite, da -da -da, like, whatever. But you never got to go perform a concert and get paid like Drake. Right. Get paid like the baby. Yeah. You know? But at the end of the at the end of the day, in the history books, you're gonna go down as more historical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty fucking crazy. Or maybe it's crazy that you have a child and your child's favorite artist is not you. It's yeah. someone that's more closer to their age range. You know, that's not nearly as talented as the guy I'm saying. Right. Who, who would you like to see in a versus battle? Take your time. Okay. Well, what? I mean, just, I, this is just for entertainment purposes. It's not even about who has the better what. Outcast versus Goody Mob. Okay. I can see that. That would just be the most entertaining shit ever to yeah, me. I can see I that. think Outkast is one of the greatest duos, groups, whatever you want to call it, of all time. There was a time where I'm like, man, I've seen a thousand, I've seen over a thousand concerts yeah. in my life, all over the world. Right. And uh, I've never seen Outkast. And I was like, if Outkast does a show anywhere in the world, I'm going. Have you seen either one of them individually? I've seen Big Boy individually. Okay. But I made that statement and then Outkast announced they were doing Coachella. Nice. Which sweet, I don't have to leave the country. So I saw Outkast do Coachella about weeks ago. Then I was doing uh, tour management for various artists and one of the artists at the time was Bob Deep. Bob Deep had a string of tour dates international, like festivals. Yeah. And Outkast was on several of these dates. Yeah. So then I'm in foreign countries, like Switzerland on stage watching Outkast. I'm like, yes. But Big Boy would be accessible and Andre was not. Mm -hmm. Damn, I've seen Outkast like seven times now and still haven't met Andre the Gold. Yeah. I come back to America and I go see the Drake first Little Wayne tour. Remember that? Yeah. Okay. I'm in a VIP box. So I went at the Hobby um, Bowl mm -hmm. and I'm in a VIP box. And I look next to me and Andre 3000 sitting in the fucking box next to me. And like he just came from like the premiere of the Jimi Hendrix movie. And literally was wearing the same outfit. Right. It's like the, the orange beanie on, the white glasses, and a jean jacket or some shit. And I'm talking to him and then like at the end of the show, I'm like, can we get a flick? He's like, yeah, we get the flick. And then it's like everyone notices it's Andre 3000. <laughs> you know, we get out of it. But like I got to tell him, like, you know, I told him the whole shit. I've never seen Outkast, I've never seen Coachella, and week two is better than week one. I'm glad you guys fucking read week two about to the show. Then I was with Bob Deep, we got to see you in these countries, and I was showing footage, like, 
So now that's for the entertainment side. Now for the uh, for the actual like motherfuckers, let's get it on. Yeah. <laughs> See, a lot of these verses are so like I, my favorite one was Three Six Mafia and Bone because yeah. everyone thought Bone was just gonna kill it because they sold more records. Yeah. That's not it. Right. It's not about who sold more records. It's a literal like it's a, a bad. This verses is like a debate. Yeah. Who made the better point in this round? Right. So like Three Six Mafia destroyed Bone, and anyone who says ototherwise, I refuse to hear. Right, 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 like even members of Bone are like we we took one. We took it. We took it off the chin on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like Bone was down 0-4. Or 4-0 and fucking that little altercation happened, you know? And the perfect example is like, so like whoever goes first, you know, like, cool, they do their song. Your D, you have the advantage actually. You can tell your DJ, okay, instead of this song, like maybe you match out, we're going with this. Yeah. You get to combat that shit. So if Bone, or I'm sorry, 3-6 plays like Tear the Club Up, their biggest song, yeah. that's when Bone has to play their, maybe not necessarily the biggest song, but their more, the hyper song. Yes. If you have it, you can't, like Friday, my right. busy bone is not gonna beat out Taylor Clinton. So you get it. Right. Okay, so there's that. I had to say that shit because then I went back and forth with you for months afterwards. <laughs> I'm like, bone did not win. Like, you can't tell me they did. I was there. And that was one of the coolest hip hop experiences I've ever been a part of. Mm-hmm. I was looking forward to that shit for months and months and months. Yeah. Um, man. Hey, fucking Mob Deep and Gangstar would have been dope. You know, rest in peace, Raji, rest in peace, Guru. Um, it was really cool. To, you know, I mean, it actually wasn't so cool to see Ray and F. It wasn't so cool to see Ray and Ghost because they're like, they're not partners. against each other. They're yeah, partners. Yeah. It's all, it's all fun love shit. Like, yeah. I really want to see like, like Gucci Mane and Jeezy. These motherfuckers hate each other. Mm. So Jeezy's whole objective was to smoke Gucci Mane. Right. That happened because people were like, oh, I did not realize that Jeezy had so many mega hits versus yeah. Gucci Street. And just his level of thinking hold up. and growth, yeah. God damn it, this might be the hardest question I was ever asked. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, I don't know, Dr. Dre versus Diddy? I would love to see that. Yeah, yeah instead of, can, instead of Diddy and Jermaine Dupree, which they're supposed to happen? Yeah, for what? Yeah. It's not, not. Um, more. I'd like to see more DJ and producer versus battles. Like, like you know, they did the RZA, premiere one before they had the format. It was literally like Riz's in his fucking like, basement. Yeah. Or Riz's in a studio and it, the sound was off and shit. I would like to see more of those. Right. Yeah. I ain't gonna lie. I would like to see LL Cool J versus Buster Rhymes. I think that's evenly matched. Same era. And I think they both see, got a higher tier. If I'm going like that level, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wanna see Buster Rhymes versus Twister. <laughs> Do you think that's evenly matched though, as far as Only like- the aesthetic. Okay. But that's my point. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if LL had more classic hits or Bust Rhymes had more in the now hits. It's literally about the round. Mm-hmm. So like, people's fucking heads would explode if it was like, oh man, I'm gonna run. Like two hours of that fucking madness. You'd be like, Pow. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, he, bro, it still blows my mind to like, Hear Twister be able to rap like that in the now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, he's killing Buster Rhymes is Buster Rhymes. And like, that was so awesome to see him on the fucking tour with Wu Tang and Nas. And yeah, man. I saw him at the Hollywood Bowl. See, I, I I went to, there was like three dates I was getting paid to like do marketing for. Mm-hmm. So I went to those shows because I just had my child. So I'm just not out frivolously. Um, 
but for the Indianapolis show, which was you know M M Indianapolis, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but ninety some percent of the, the touring acts that from like oh seven to twenty seventeen were going to the Russian events. Yeah, um, I I was in the front row. I didn't I didn't watch from backstage looking into the audience. I was there fanning the fuck out, amazed after each song, turning around, looking at eighteen thousand people behind me, just like this is shit. Yeah, you know. Yeah. How do you feel to be a dad, brother? Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Like I'm still getting my work done every day. I'm just sleeping less. For, it's it's it went from like you know I'm going to bed and I'm gonna wake up at this time versus like I get you know I'll sleep when my child sleeps. So it's like two to four hour spurts all throughout the day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't had my first yet, you know what I'm saying? But I, I always think like, damn, I'm gonna have time to do this and still be a good dad. And it's like, the work-life balance has to be a priority. So that's not that's not difficult for you at this time. No. No. Nope. That's, that's not, awesome. it's been great. Um, you know, my wife gives me like praise every day because I've been handling like all the night feeds. So I'm usually up doing the feeds and getting my sleep in these little spurts from like 10 p.m. to like 7 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And that means the world to her. And she's on like maternity leave right now and I'm still like buckled down at my office in the house. So um, I'm, I'm getting in it. Yeah, you know. Uh, we'll see how it plays out you know, in the next year and change to come because, you know, my biggest career record still has not dropped. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're not rushing it, but uh, I'm getting antsy. Yeah. You know, and that's Rock Kim. Oh man, so so wait, so you and Rock Kim got a record together? An album. Oh my god. I'm hanging on, I'm hanging on the first Rock Kim album in like 16 Oh my god. So so what when is that scheduled to release? It's not. It's not. It's we were supposed to I mean, we've missed several turning dates. What's the what's the hold up? Ross perfectionist. And makes sense. You know, we've changed producers multiple times. Like we, we took the advance money and like built the studio with the house so he can just handle the shit where he wants to but you know he's got TV obligations book obligations tour obligations the job was called 17th letter 25th anniversary tours coming up like next part I don't know this month next month next year um, I think yeah so yeah so there's always something going on but it's like he doesn't record like you know, the younger ones do. Yeah. Like they want to be in the studio every day. Mm -hmm. So he gets to it when he gets to it. And he likes to work with, I can't give out details of the record now, but like, if I'm working with you, who can be there with me? Yeah. Like in my space. It's not like email me beats, mm -hmm. that kind of shit. So, yep. Do you meditate? No. Nah? No, I should though. Yeah, because I, I found that being in LA just alone, it's like you could be everywhere and then your mind is just, consuming so much man that you can self-destruct but as i started meditating and creating that balance and mentally it's like i'm able to be present as much as i can in every situation you know yeah. having that level that's, that's that's important yeah that's important because um like i definitely i've been diagnosed with adhd mm. but i don't take medication for it mm. and i kind of like my organized confusion mm. my, my chaos like but it's, it's like one of my friends i like mom, that organized confusion mm -hmm. Shots right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, I just saw him the other day in Phoenix. I yeah. did a show with Dallas, Zach's Doctor, and I Destroy, and um, mm -hmm. shots to those guys. Um, but yeah, my, one of my friends' mom one time, she heard me on all these business calls, and she's like, we're talking about like four or five different deals over the course of four or five calls. Mm -hmm. She's like, I have not seen you write a single thing down. And I'm like, if I feel like it's real, then I'll like make a note. 
Otherwise, it's just talk. Mm-hmm. So like, I'll read. Like, I know to call these people. I'll remind myself. Just it'll be like randomly. Oh yeah, call this guy. Hey, so we're we gonna do this. No, okay, cool. Yeah, I, I keep track of what I think is real business. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I bought a big dry erase board in my house to like start organizing these albums. Yeah, I wrote one project on it. I was like, you have not. You wrote on it one time, and you're not even making that album anymore. I'm like, oh, yeah. so it's just like, like I thought I needed it, but I'm everything's in my head. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. You gotta write it down, bro. Get that shit out. I'm telling you, because you will blow your brains out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see. You know, as I get older, maybe I'm gonna need to. But um, yeah, I like how everything's running. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm trying to see how to ask this. Do you want your child to get into this, or would you allow your child to get into this business? I don't have my. Well, I have a daughter. Oh, daughter. So I would let her get into the business of music. If she grew up as an artistic child, I would definitely support her in the arts, but like, I'd rather her be a singer or a vocalist than a white Jewish female rapper. Um, Females have it bad enough in the arts. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of female talents, they come in either as a rocker or a pop star. Mm -hmm. I I can make a whole rap album financially for what it costs to effectively do one quote-unquote pop song mm-hmm. for a female artist or and that's the difference it's, it's a whole different ball game a plateau of expenses of personnel so I, i'm definitely gonna support her in whatever she wants to do um my parents gave me free will to kind of explore what i what i loved and what i didn't they had guidelines like we want you to graduate college we want you to go to law school whether you whether you become an attorney or not, then as long as you graduate, we can't tell you shit. So I, I graduated law school and I did not become an attorney, but I got my law degree and I use one of the specialty courses, the intellectual properties, the advanced contracts, the allegations, uh, in my business on a daily basis. Yeah. So, you know. That's amazing, man. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's important too, man. Like even reading that book, what's it called? Uh, Everything there is to know about the music business. I think every artist, before becoming an artist, needs to touch that book. You know? Yes, so, and, and I'll expand upon that point. Like you don't have to have law school money. You don't even have to have college money. Mm-hmm. But if you're saying school's not for me, I just want to be this, I just want to be an artist, or I just want to work in the music business. That That's not a, a free pass to like ignore education. Yeah. That means you are pursuing alternate routes of consuming knowledge. Yeah. So you have to like digest these books like you were in school. Mm-hmm. You have to test yourself. Like like doctors, once they graduate med school and become doctors, it's not like never have to learn again. Yeah. Procedures change, laws change, ethics change. So therefore, you have to study up on positive new procedures for registering publishing, mm-hmm. clearing a sample, mm-hmm. uh, registering copyrights. Like, like negotiating a record deal. That's another thing to go back to the Kanye shit. Yeah. Are you telling me that like Birdman <laughs> is smarter than you? Are you telling me that 21 Savage is smarter than you? Because these people chose in the present day, not even the present day, Birdman is back to like 20 some years ago. Yeah. 21 Savage is five some years ago. Mm-hmm. These are examples of people, Ray Charles, not to believe Ray Charles was smaller than Kanye West, <laughs> but these are people that walked into these label meetings <laughs> after putting in said work. These are our terms. Yeah. You're not smart enough to do that? Like, so you willingly gave up your design rights to Adidas, you gave up ownership to Adidas, you gave up your masters at FGM, but now Jewish people are the bad people. We're so bad for presenting you with the contract that you signed. 
I'm not going for it. I'm, I'm not going to let you cry wolf and blame a whole fucking group of people. Right. That you, that, like, imagine, imagine some Jewish kid in middle school like, I don't even know that guy. Exactly. That's fucking ludicrous. <laughs> but 21 Savage can be like, yeah, I I approached the system and made it work for me. Yeah. If you would like to sign me, these are my terms. Like NBA Youngboy, who's been independent this whole time and just did some deal with, I don't know, like Atlantic or something. Clearly, if he's already successful and you want to come into his fold, it has to be on his terms. <laughs> Kodak Black, another example, I think just signed for it. 30, 40 million bucks to like Columbia or something. I'm pretty sure that dude made, is maintaining his masters. Uh, yeah. Like, that's just what it is if you want to be part of my program. So Kanye, I'm not going for the fact that you don't understand this and music after all these years and albums and successful tours. Like Jay-Z, who could have done it with or without Live Nation's 360, which if that would have happened, Rock Nation would have never even become a thing. Right. Like clearly understood better. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. so ignorance, just like in the law, when you get arrested for something, mm -hmm. ignorance is no defense. You have to educate yourself to what it is you're getting into. That's a fact. That in any fact. walk of life. Mm -hmm. All right. So, so speak, speaking of education and the Jewish people, you know, I noticed that the Jewish community had a reputation for creating generational wealth. And I noticed that, you know, other communities, you know, like my people sometimes, you know, I just now getting in wind and how to create that generational wealth. But it almost seems like the Jewish community been doing since since the beginning of time. So I wanted if you can expound on that on what are some of the, I guess, cultural habits you guys picked up on along the way that continue to build this generational wealth. Even understand the I I don't know if I have the definitive answer for that. Mm -hmm. Because, like, my parents, my dad retired like two years ago at age like 75, and my mom is still working at 71, 72, and will continue to work for like until the next year. Um, I think it's just familial planning. Mm -hmm. Like, we're bringing children to the world. We want to, you always want to leave your kids better off than what you were. So, you know, my parents' parents lived through like World War II and stuff. And it's not like people were stacking wealth then. Right. You know, especially the Jewish people. That's when we were fighting for our lives in the Holocaust and things of that nature. So, post Holocaust is when I think people started getting to generational wealth, okay? Savings and the stock market like re emerged. Um, so, it's just about uh, what I would credit is like family planning, wanting to leave whether it's businesses, whether it's bank accounts, whether it's stock portfolios to their children. And then the other thing is Jewish people build these common bonds in synagogue, mm -hmm. in Sunday school, in Hebrew school. Mm -hmm. So like when I was in elementary school and middle school, I also after school had to go to Hebrew school. Mm -hmm. And that's when you do preparation to become a man for your bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. And you learn Hebrew and you learn the ethics and values of, of Judaism. Mm -hmm. um, so we make these connections there. I've been to certain people's churches and mosques and stuff like that, and it doesn't come across with the same feel. Mm. It's more about dealing with the present, acknowledging your Lord and Savior. Um, but I don't, just my experience, I have not seen people like host church services. Hey, we should really talk about what you're doing in your business and how potentially I could better you. and. That's something that's very prevalent mm -hmm. in the Jewish community. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, for you to ask that question, and 
I, with all this Kanye stuff, just told my wife, I'm like, I should start going to synagogue. I'm an example of a Jew that goes on the high holidays. Um, I, my, my father's an example of someone who goes every week. You know, he goes to every Saturday service. He's very involved. He was the president of one of our synagogues when we lived in the Midwest. Um, because there will come a time where I might fall out of love with working in the rap industry. And I'm gonna need something else to do. But granted, I have my law degree, and you can always, you know, go take the bar and, and then practice. Maybe I will want to do that, maybe I won't. Right. But if I have this network at my disposal, I'd be insane not to try and get like better myself through that network. Right. So our community is very uplifting of one another. Mm -hmm. I can't speak on any other community and say you're this or you're not that, but chances are more times than not, your community is not that. Uh, Wiz Khalifa had a tweet the other day, like, I don't understand why I see all these people with money bickering with one another. Like, right. go smoke a joint, chill out. <laughs> Do you enjoy your success? Like, I don't smoke weed, but I definitely try to be involved in this far away from as much bullshit as possible. Right. And that's why I thought about this this morning. Like, when I came in the game, it's not only I knew what my vision was. Right. Only I knew what I thought I was going to become. Right. I knew I was willing to work. I knew I was educated. And I knew I was going to take whatever or do whatever it took to, to get it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people looked at me like a lick. A lot of people looked at me like just a, a dollar sign or a write off or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. I kept working. So it's like whether you love me or hated me, then that's on you. Mm -hmm. Now that I've got to this point where I'm in a higher position, a position of power. Mm -hmm more people genuinely love me now because they know I'm on the team. I'm here to like, when I do my free weeklies, that's to give you game, put you in a better position. Yeah. But I still have people that still hate me and their hate is deep seated in the fact I'm such a hard worker mm -hmm. and they can't allow themselves to get around the fact that if you had the finances or if you even reached out to me, I could be part of your team too. Right. So you're hating on someone that's working harder than you when you know that if you wanted to have all these all these finer things in life, you just have to work for it too. And I was on a panel one time with, with Ludacris and members of Disturbing the Peace and Chaka and Jeff and, and black folks. And it's like, one of them said, I think it was folks, the rewards given through hip hop are so great because they're reserved for such a small few. I'm definitely going to go down to history of it as an example of someone that worked year in and year out to reap the greatest of rewards from hip hop. Yeah. It's not nothing that you would be like, oh, they just, his parents had money. Dude, my parents never gave me a fucking dollar for anything rap related. Right. Like I was funded, I was worked, I worked at McDonald's, I worked at a dog biscuit bakery, I worked at a tanning salon, I worked at mad restaurants, like yeah. Red Lobster and did a shit like this. My parents didn't believe into what I was doing as an artist until they came to one of my shows in Indianapolis and it was sold out. Similar people that paid five to $10 to get in and I'm walking like $5,000 to rap for 30 minutes. This is what my parents are like, oh, okay, this is real. It's not just like some fucking hobby shit. Right. But still at that time, I didn't need anything from that. Right. You know? Um, I went to school every day, high school and college. So we're talking like seven years. Mm -hmm. Did not leave campus every day until I made at least 100 bucks. I strategically dropped a project every year from when cassette tapes were a thing yeah. and CD burns were a thing so I could make CDs. Mm -hmm. And that was the hustle. Yeah. People don't have that hustle. 
because we live in a different era. We're in the internet era where people are scared to sell shit. Right. They just want to be like, I did a million downloads, like free on that piff or live mixtapes or all SoundCloud or whatever. Yeah. And that's cool because the word million sounds big. Right. Do you have a million bucks though? No. Nope. <laughs> shit, I do. Like, that's the difference. So, we kind of touched on two things there, but it's like, the Jewish community is just different, man. Yeah. And I am a Jew who fucks with Farrakhan. Yeah. That's some of my lovely shit. Because mm -hmm. a lot of Jewish people are like, Farrakhan speaks poorly of us. Mm -hmm. He's against us. Mm -hmm. Kanye West is not Farrakhan. Right. Kanye and the Piers Morgan interviewer of the Drink Chefs interview, I don't remember which one, came back and it was later like, I'm jealous of the Jews because of X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. After the fact, it was Def Con, three other Jews, and blah, blah. Yeah. Farrakhan, though, speaks, and he's the Mr. Farrakhan. He's dedicated his life to uplifting his people. Right. Blacks, five percenters, gods and earths, the whole lot. His message is like, let's learn from this model. Our people need to do this. We need to own land. We need to grow crops. We need to excel in business. Yes. We need X, Y, and Z. It is up to the black community at that point in time to take heed to his words yes. and implement. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. The Jewish people have built up the system. They implement, they, they help each other. We can't do anything but, but provide an example. Right. You know, I'd much rather hear Farrakhan say his words for better or worse. I find, I think they're all for the better yeah. because he's speaking to acknowledge our people then I want this for my people. Right. Kanye's shit is coming off so fucking erratic. You're not gonna sell me on the phone like, well, this is what he really meant, bro. Mm -hmm. He knows the Jews are great. No, because he's fucking still. I mean, it's been like a month now. Yeah. 